And today we're continuing learning about different ideas in which to take coming out of Egypt the story in the Torah of the slavery uh, and the redemption from Egypt how to translate into a personal model a personal paradigm so we have many many different ideas today and each of the ideas there's a lesson that comes out of it so the first idea I want to start with is in last week's Parsha the idea of the taking of a lamb on the 10th of Nisan in preparation for the the Korban Pesach Paschal Sacrifice where we took the blood and we put it on the doorpost and, and the lintels from which we get the name Passover that God passed over the, the houses so there's a question as we always ask well what does that mean to me now something very very interesting about this I'm going to call it a mitzvah but we're going to see in a second it's not a mitzvah in the, in the sense of one of the 613 even though it's it's stated you, you should take a lamb on the 10th of the month and it sounds like the language of many other mitzvot it's not actually one of the 613 mitzvot why? because it was only done one time it was never repeated it was never repeated and so therefore it's in Hebrew it's called a horaat sha'ah a decree for the hour because of the circumstances this is what we need to do and in that sense it is a mitzvah but it's not one of those mitzvahs that are repeated but anything in the Torah that we're taught has eternal value to it now what's interesting is it introduces by taking this lamb into our houses it introduces all the laws of Pesach in the Torah once this is introduced then all the laws of Pesach including not eating chametz and eating matzah and moror most of the laws that we know about Pesach came in last week's Parsha including a lot of the language of the Haggadah including the word the Higadata Labincha and you shall tell your children and that's where we get the word Haggadah the Higadata and you shall tell your children and it says and when your children ask you and all of this language was incorporated into the Haggadah and it mentions over and over the idea that this is a Chok Olam an everlasting ordinance so what we can learn from this as far as our own personal spiritual journey is uh, two things one is the juxtaposition of a a mitzvah that's a one time mitzvah for the hour and its connection to mitzvahs that last forever an everlasting ordinance so it seems like total, total opposites 
something you do for the moment or something you do that, that you want to last forever but we see there's a, there's a connection and what we can learn from this is that individual moments, thoughts, actions can take on an eternal aspect according to our, our intention according to our focus so that those moments in life and we all have those moments in many different ways or circumstances where something that happens in a moment or a minute or an hour or a conversation or a decision or a pivotal uh, act changes our lives and we just go in a different direction because of that so the decision is made in a moment the actual actual decision you can actually look on the clock and like this is when I made this decision or this is when this event happened but it becomes uh, impressed on our our future and our neshamas and it becomes becomes eternal and the way I, I described it is that in the old way of showing a movie where there are frames we look at a movie and we see the action are called motion pictures we see the motion and everything seems like flowing we don't see uh, breaks between the frames but if you could slow down the, the movie uh, reel you see that, that the entire movie are individual frames speeded up that we don't notice that they're actually individual frames so a hora'at sha'ah a mitzvah for the moment is like an individual frame so if you look at the whole picture one might think well an individual frame is not all that important even just to get a hand movement like this you might need a hundred frames that, I mean, that's how the original cartoons were made like that that's how they made them they made a series of, of drawings and then they just like, kind of like fanned them to appear like there was no break in them so this is uh, it puts a huge burden of responsibility but it's also a huge opportunity to understand that all so many what we consider maybe insignificant moments are not all that insignificant at all if we approach them that way if we approach our life with an attitude that everything is important uh, that, we should, that we need conscious intent that our life takes on not such a temporal uh, aspect it, it moves into the more eternal realm and the other thing we can learn from this is that there, there is an if you translate this individual action 
and something that lasts forever. And we just translate it in different words. So we could say it's also the way we choose to live our lives or in the terminology of the Torah, Abu Dat Hashem, how we serve God, is that the Horat Sha'ah, taking this lamb for a moment, a one-time thing, this represents spontaneity. Or each person finding their own unique, individualized uh, way of relating to God. Whereas the everlasting ordinance, all these laws that are given over Pesach, that we do every year, this represents our being connected to a certain derech, to a certain path that has been laid out for us. So in essence, in the relating to God, in um, a whole, the level of trusting the moment and the um, occurrence that it's all God-related, even if we don't have a consciousness of it. That's, that's not what I was saying, but that also works. That, that, also, that also works. What I was trying to say is, is that sometimes we want... Uh, let's say the example is the sitter. So the sitter is laid out for us. The words were written thousands of years ago. For every occasion, Shach, Mincha, Mairav, Shabbos, Alachagim says exactly, and we go to Shul and we say the words exactly as they're written there. But then, where's, where's my voice? Where are, where are my thoughts? Where's my place in this? And so every person has to find the, the middle ground where we can say the same words every day and yet we can put in our own prayers our own way of seeing things our own individualized uh, version so I'm just saying this is like a spin-off of this idea of a mitzvah for the moment and mitzvot that are repeated over and over again and they're there with us forever it's like walking an ancient pathway with a fresh attitude. And th- this is a... Uh, I, th- I think everyone struggles... I don't know if that's the right word. Struggles or works at finding that right balance between spontaneity and... Uh, what's been laid out for us. Are you relating this to saying that this idea started with Pesach? That it was a one-time mitzvah, but the repercussions of it are all the time? What I'm saying is that what we can learn from the juxtaposition of a one-time mitzvah and introducing mitzvot that we repeat continually that there's something to learn in the juxtaposition they seem to be like total opposites a one time mitzvah is like it happened one time and it's never repeated again 
So I'm, I'm translating that in a, in a spiritual sense into spontaneity or finding our unique individual way of serving God. And all of the laws of Pesach that it introduces, which we do every year, same thing at, 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 at the Pesach Seder. We read the Haggadah, the exact same words, have the three matzahs and the four cups of wine, and the more, all the props are chokolam, an eternal ordinance. That's exactly what it is every year. But if we don't put some new uh, perspective on it every year, we would be bored out of our minds. It's just like, uh, what? It's very paradoxical. In yeah, it is. Because, you know, first of all, no two saviors are ever alike. Mm-hmm. And throughout the world, the same night, no two saviors are ever mm-hmm. alike. And, you know, your own personal savior is never the same one year to the next. Um, and yet the framework is, the is exactly yeah. the same. Right? So I'm saying that we can, that, that in the context of learning about coming out of Egypt, because if we're trapped in the everlasting ordinance without any uh, newness to it I should, I should go back one step the verse before the, the uh, com- again I'll call it a commandment to take this lamb is another verse I wanted to get into that we've actually learned uh, last year when we learned about Pesach and it was on, I remember it, it was on Rosh Chodesh Nisan, about 10 months ago. And the verse is, HaChodesh HaZelechem. This is the first of the months of the year for you. And we had an entire class about the concept called Hit Shut. An entire class about that one verse. The idea of renewal. And this introduces this one-time mitzvah which then introduces the everlasting ordinances. So the introduction goes along with this perfectly, is renewal. This is the first mitzvah, if you remember, that the Jewish people are given. This is the first of the months of the year for you. This is all the laws about the Jewish calendar. This is the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. And we learned... There are a lot of mitzvahs that could theoretically have been the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. The significance that the first mitzvah is about newness and renewal and bouncing back. And if you fall, then you get up. This this becomes the, the foundation of all service of God. This becomes the foundation of getting out of Egypt. Because what we'll get to is this week's Parsha is about the Song of the Sea. And we sing the Song of the Sea every single day. Every single day. To teach us that the story of coming out of Egypt is what our life is about on a daily basis. We get up out of bed in the morning and we're, we're going to have to cross some sea today. Like it just, uh, the Slonimer puts it in a little bit different way. 
and he says I think he was quoting his father or grandfather and said any day that a person doesn't battle what he called with their own yetzer in other words with some doesn't do battle with some spiritual striving he says you can't even call it a day he says it doesn't like it doesn't register if you get through a day and, and there's no no striving not in, a, not in a negative sense here the word struggle is not a negative word challenge, challenge or opportunity <laughs> then it's not even a day it's not even a day it's just like a, it's like a waste because that's the nature of reality and I remember Dean Steinsaltz wrote a, an essay called Strife of the Spirit actually the whole book is called Strife of the Spirit it's a book of essays and this is one of I think I guess it's the first in the book and it's a short essay but it's, it is so um, painfully true where he explains that the let's say the Eastern or the New Age concept of a person striving to be in a continual state of bliss or peace or nirvana he said is not a Jewish concept he said it is not a Jewish concept he said we have Shabbos bliss out for a whole day we have moments every day but we don't in a sense not fool ourselves but we 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 don't strive to be in a state of nirvana all the time he said Yisrael is taken from what it means is you have striven striven you have have fought with God and man and you have prevailed he said the the fate of, of a Jew is to struggle. Prevail. When you say you prevail, what does that mean? Prevail is that's a good that's a good question. I guess for everyone it means something different. But it means is you, you're not blown away by the events of the world, right? And as you, everyone faces just constant right. challenges, and you prevail, meaning. You, you deal with it, you get by, you, you move forward, you overcome, you break through. That's all of these are images of going to the, the sea. That's what we're told. We read it every day to, like, to tell us, like, don't, like, don't be afraid that you're going to face the sea today. You're going to face the sea today. Now, the sea could just simply be... Um, it, you're on a diet and like you're struggling not to eat that you know second piece of, of muffin or uh, you're struggling you know not to fall asleep at two o'clock in the afternoon or you're struggling um, you know what to tell a friend about this or that it doesn't it doesn't have to be like you know the biggest catastrophe in the world but what Adin Shantz was saying that just we sh- life is about constant change and striving and 
opportunities and struggle and movement we don't, we don't try to get ourselves into this like nirvana state he said that's not our fate what I'm hearing is like this concept of Mitzrayim is sort of embedded in us to know what it's like to have narrowness and the goal is to come out of it like we have this inclination to go into those straits to find that coming out and that's kind of blissful and it's on the straight every time yeah. you come out yeah, in other words, what he was saying was not that we shouldn't have peace of mind. It's not that we shouldn't strive to have what's called Yeshuv Hadat, um, a settled mind. But, see, I relate to this very well because when I was, I don't know, 18 or 19, I got into reading about Buddhism and Zen Buddhism and meditation and like I, I tried that headspace what I'm, tr- what I'm trying to say is uh, was two weeks ago there was the the Rafua Institute um, two-day seminar and the, 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 the highlight was uh, what's his name the, the professor from Harvard yeah, you right. And um, he, he drew the biggest audience, and he's been teaching uh, what's called positive psychology. And he began. He made the same point I'm making from a, from a different point. He said, he said you go to uh, bookstores now, and you can find hundreds of self-help yeah, books no, no, under a million. Yeah. And he said, he said, what is the? He said they're they're good. They're they're helpful. He said, but, but there's a big problem with them. That they, um, they, they promise too much and, and, then the, and, and they make it sound so easy. This is, this is my problem with the, the, the rage over the secret. Everyone was watching the secret and I could pinpoint most of what was being said you can find in, in Judaism, you can find in Hasidut or anything else. But I found it extremely disturbing and, and disturbing because they set up that's what I was trying to say. The book that I was reading when I was 19 was just this very flowery, peaceful, meditative, and if you, and if you do it right, all problems fall away. Everything is... I mean, I'm just saying that's how I experienced it as a 19-year-old. And I tried to get into that place. I tried to get into that place, and I was like... There was that yeah, yeah, and I, I found it, yeah, I found it very disturbing because people watch this, and it's made in a way that if you don't find, with well, the secret is if if what you want doesn't manifest, there's something wrong. You're not doing it right, or there's something wrong with you. Because it's guaranteed. That's what the catch saying. It's guaranteed. It's a hundred percent. You just have to will it into. And I said that it's, that's, there's something true to that, but this is dangerous. The thing we can learn from this is that the paradigm of coming out of Egypt is, from from a Torah perspective, is is telling us this is what life is about. This is what a, an individual's life is about. 
is what reality is about. And that's why this paradigm, that's what we're learning about it, you know, how to translate it onto a personal level. Because if not, we're reading the story in the Torah and very nice. But here we're trying to translate each one of the details of the story into messages or teachings as to actually how to get out of, out of Egypt. And I was having a, a discussion uh, with someone and they made, they made a comment they were going through a hard time and they, they were kind of saying, well, you know, I know all these people you know, who kind of like who live charmed lives and I said, show me one person I said, very honestly, I said, I don't know one person I couldn't one person, not that I don't know happy people well-adjusted people people who, who have a certain amount of, 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 of peace of mind but you show me someone who's, who, who doesn't have some baggage with them who's not dealing with some medical thing or child thing or parent thing or spouse thing or business thing where? I don't, I don't know of it I, I, I really don't know I don't know anyone but again, that doesn't mean that everyone's maladjusted and, 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 and sad and pain and, and depressed. I didn't say that, but I just don't know anyone who doesn't have their tachalach that they're dealing with. And, and I, I think that's what we're trying to say here, uh, that this paradigm of coming out of Egypt is a, is a daily, moment-by-moment experience it really is in other words wherever however far I reach today spiritually or professionally or relationship wise it, it, it becomes tomorrow's Mitzrayim and so therefore it's ever led that's why every day we say the song at the sea even in Shabbos even does anyone get through Shabbat even you know in the most peaceful without one strange thought or negative thought or disturbing thought or it's just the actually the Gemara says the Gemara says that a person does not it, it's like impossible to get through a day without at least one moment of I don't know what the word they use pain or distress or, or tension or whatever and so the, the Gemara asks well like, like what's like the minimal that could happen okay something happens every day and the, so I think the, one of the examples yes one of the examples is is you know how a person's always checking their, their their pocket you know to make sure their keys are there or their wallet is there or whatever and like you go into the other pocket you thought your keys were there and for one second like where are my keys you said that like less than that you can't get through a day something will happen every day that is just that one moment of and it's just because it's saying that that's just that's just how life is it doesn't make it bad it doesn't make it negative it doesn't make it uh, like it, it's the end of the world it's just saying like, let's, let's be realistic about the more realistic we are about life 
the more we'll succeed. And along with, with this, uh, I would say that these two things that we've talked about today, the ability to renew ourselves as individuals and as a nation. Because as a nation, if we didn't have this ability to renew ourselves, we would not be here now as, as a people. We just would not have made it. I don't, there's, there's really no people that have been put through the mill like we have and just got up and been able to start again. I mean, how many hundreds, I, I, I'd say thousands of communities over the last few thousand years were uprooted either by pogrom, crusade, expulsion, holocaust, whatever and people left with nothing shirts on their backs um, saw the most horrendous things the most horrendous things happened to them and they were able to start all over again it's like it's like really it's, it's beyond it, I mean, this is the source of it the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people achodesh azer lochem our definition of freedom is radically different than the, the Western world's definition of freedom. Radically. It's really radically different. And you're very right to say that the, the purpose of the giving of the Torah immediately after coming out of Egypt was to leave no doubt in anyone's mind that that was the purpose. That was the, in fact, at the, at the burning bush, so God's, when Moshe's like, me, I don't know, I don't know if they deserve it, he said, the sign to, to you will be is that when you come out of Egypt, you will serve me on this mountain. In other words, right where we're standing right here, when you come out, this is where you're going to come to. This is where you're coming to. This is the purpose of it all. This is the purpose of it all. And the truth is, it's it's paradoxical. Our definition of freedom is very, very paradoxical because we are are locked through the mitzvot into uh, being servants of Hashem in in the most real way. But we're taught, but we're taught, this is, the difference is, is that the Western definition of freedom, uh, unless you have like a, a rare soul, but in, in, in the way that the world works, is the greatest slavery of all. Because in our definition, freedom means that my soul is free from the bondage of nature, nurture, peer pressure, um, stomach, hormones, and my soul is free to be what it's supposed to be. And where in, in, in the West, and you just see it, it's so blatant, and that's how, in a sense, we were all brought up to think that freedom means um, I can do what I want, 
I'm I'm my own boss. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And usually, not. I mean, maybe let's say during the, the the hippie movement, there was a rebellion against this. But the basic messages, and to be able to do this, you need a lot of money. And then you can be your own boss, and no one can tell you what to do. And you can drive whatever car you want. You can take whatever vacation you want. You can pursue, like you say, any desire that you want. And this this is the definition of freedom, and it's splashed all over the media and the newspapers and television and and the music. Is that this is the goal of freedom? And like I said, rare individuals they can get they can get beyond it. They can see beyond the superficiality of this definition. I'm not saying everyone automatically falls into it. You do have many spiritual people out there who are, who can get, but the basic definition and the way that society is is uh, focused is towards this goal of, of of personal freedom, which means, as you say, the the, the the personal freedom to pursue my desires. And ours is is radically radically different. So I would say that uh, I got sidetracked, but. I wanted to say that the two ideas of renewal and of struggle, uh, I believe, is one of the reasons uh, that Jews have succeeded, not just surviving, but of impacting uh, world history thought, culture, religion, law, literature, medicine, uh, just across the board because I'm, not, like, I'm, I'm trying to analyze what, I, what is a is reality. A lot of people don't like to admit that reality or are very defensive about it. But I, just, I, I think it's just I just think it's Clear, if we could just say without being like too attached to it, that considering the percentage of of Jews in the world throughout history, uh, the effect that we have had on the world scene is astounding. Is absolutely. And so the question is just, how did that happen? Why did that happen? What's the full? We didn't like do it like on purpose, but there's there's some there's some philosophy behind it and I think this idea of struggling of pushing to get out of Mitzrayim to be the best that we can to succeed to break through if we fall down to get up don't succeed you try again Okay, so people have these ideas but I just think that it is so embedded and and the key word here is tikkun that we're uh, here we, we are driven we're driven towards making a mark in the world and I think this whole paradigm that we're talking about is the underpinning of why that is true again it doesn't mean that we're conscious of it or an individual especially like let's say uh, someone who's a secular Jew so he's not thinking in religious terms or philosophical terms, but he's 
acting according to a certain upbringing, a certain world view that we kind of get with our mother's milk as to what we're doing in this world. And I think this paradigm speaks a lot about it. One more idea, um, maybe help tie this together, that we can see from the idea of taking the lamb on the tenth. That's what we started with. So the question is asked, why did we have to take a lamb into our house, tie it to our bedpost, and have it there for four days? A lamb? Yeah, a lamb. To your bedpost? Yeah. Yeah, yeah the midger says... Did you tie it to your bedpost? Yeah. yeah, that we tied it to our bedpost. And we kept... So the, the midger says... Um, the, the Egyptians came in and said, well, what are you doing with our sheep? <laughs> and that we answered, in another four days, we are taking these sheep, which is based, basically the gods of Egypt, and we are slaughtering them, and then we're leaving Egypt. So, in a practical sense, what did that ac- accomplish? They actually put their lives in danger. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> It's for the question, uh, you know, the Egyptians had to think, well, wait a minute, everybody's going to go out. Everybody's, you know. Also, but... It, 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 actually, actually, the Midrash says that there was a rebellion in Egypt of the firstborns. That they tried to rebel and they, they weren't successful. Because at that point, <laughs> on the tenth time, God said that all the firstborn were going to die. They believed it. Right. and that there was a, a rebellion mm. but still the simple understanding is it was putting their lives in danger mm. it, it, it's kind of like uh, it's yeah it's like you're, you're, you're in a concentration camp and you know I don't know you do something and the guards come and what are you doing well in another three or four days we're breaking out of here <laughs> like it, it would be like ludicrous so the teaching that's given over so why did God command this we could have just taken the lamb on the 14th and go slaughter it what was the purpose of having it for four days I, I'm, it's my knowledge it's reflective before of the 40 to come the 40 years the 40 days definitely a connection there I would call that that more Kabbalistic mm-hmm. connection Ah, yeah, ah, so that's exactly, exactly, is what it forced in the consciousness was two things. It, it, it forced a situation of what's called Nasirat Nefesh, of having to give one's all. And it also forced a level of faith. Because they were put in this very compromised position. And we're taught that that's exactly what God wanted. Because this is a prerequisite of coming out of Egypt. In other words, as we're talking about this idea of struggle and coming out of Egypt and breaking through the sea, it doesn't happen easily. That's the point. It doesn't happen easily. So part of it was we we had to I kind of like buy into it because if you didn't really believe it you would like well maybe let my neighbor do that like I'll, I'll, I'll pass on this one 
In other words, as each person, let's say, prepares to come out of Egypt, meaning, I have a obstacle in my life. I have a problem. I have a phobia. I have something that I, I haven't been able to break through. So there needs to be a certain decision that I am going to go through with this. And there, and there has to be a certain amount of putting your all into it. Preparation. I have, now if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to put my all into this. Now, again, a stupid example, but let's say a person needs to go on a diet. And they know it for months or years. No, they have to go. And finally, the doctor convinces you. You really have to do this. And you're like, okay, intellectually, yes, I have to do this. But then there comes the limbo of, okay, so when am I going to start? And, and you, you can't just start. That's the whole point. You have to, like, build yourself up to it. You have to, like, galvanize all your inner forces to, you know, the, the, the first week or two of, you know, looking and like, no. And, and just making that decision takes a whole inner revolution. Yeah. What I see, and this really extends to like the body, the yoga, is that you don't even know your potential. Because saying you have to give your all, that's the same thing as personal best. Which is like an unknown place. We don't know what our personal best is. Like it's not perfection, but it's our personal best. And I was writing about this the other day, like, what is that? Like, we don't even know what that is. So you're being put in that situation now to stretch, you know, go to mm-hmm. that full potential, that personal sense, in other words, to come out of the situation, to overcome whatever. <coughs> like, it's so beyond what we think is our best. There's more. Right, exactly. That ultimate place. Incredible how far we can be stretched, especially as Jewish people, right, historically. The, the, the metaphor of stretching is a very good one because what we, you have to stretch more than you have ever before but you know what tomorrow once you've stretched that means really you could stretch more so it becomes it becomes see for someone for someone who's like not up to this it's very daunting and as what we're talking about is very daunting you have to come out of Mitzrayim every day it's just like wow I'm tired just thinking about it but it's true I'm, I'm tired just thinking about it so there has to be a certain place where there's a paradigm shift where the struggle we change the world to challenge, change the word to challenge, and then we change the word from challenge to opportunity. And the ultimate paradigm shift is like, oh, I have another opportunity today to grow. I have the opportunity today to break through something that I was not able to. I have the opportunity to do something new today. 
And this, this is actually very, very connected to the first thing we say in the morning, Moda Anila Fanecha. Because how many times do we have a tendency, you know, you will open your eyes and the first thing is, boy, <laughs> boy, I know what I have to do today. I have to go here, I have to go there, I have to see this. It's like, boy. But if, if, instead of boy, it's Moda Anila Fanecha, it's a different day. It's a different day. You know, when you said what you said, and then you said, and especially as Jewish people, to, you know, how far can we go? Why is it, how can I understand, especially as Jewish people, versus as people. <laughs> Why? Because this this is our Torah. <laughs> this but is no, our yes. Yeah, yeah. But but I agree. I'm very universalistic, and, and I I I, I try to encompass like as much as I can. But but this is our Torah. It's our mitzvot. It's our path. And then it can be, and then it can be, it can be extended to the whole world, right? I don't, I don't mind um, hearing like good points about other religions. It does, some people are threatened. Some people are threatened. I'm not threatened at all. Especially when this sounds just like a Jewish idea. I, I love that. I love that. But we should. On the other hand, we shouldn't be embarrassed that this is our Torah and this is our path this is our Pesach our Shabbos our Purim and like this is our path just like a Buddhist has their path and a Sikh has their path and it's not our, it's not our path it's, and I'm trying to twist their arm to, to follow our path but our, we have our path and so therefore, so if we're learning about our paradigm, so that's why I'm saying this is our paradigm, because it is. It is our paradigm. And yet it extends to the whole world. We should all have a blessing of wellsprings of faith that we don't even imagine that we have. Wellsprings of strength that we don't even imagine that we have wellsprings of courage that we didn't know existed and we should strive forward and, and, and go from strength to strength.